Welcome to the Harmonia Early Music Podcast. I'm Janelle Davis. And I'm Wendy Gillespie. And today on the podcast, we're headed to France again. Yes, indeed. In fact, the recording we have with us today is a three-CD set entitled Musique Sacrée à Versailles. Sacred music from Versailles, music written by French composers, performed by French musicians. Even the recording was sponsored by a French institution. That's right. This institution, the Centre de Musique Baroque de Versailles, formed in the late 1980s with the mission of researching 17th and 18th century French music and presenting concerts and spectacles. A choir school, a maîtrise in French, was established to train the child and adult singers who would perform the great works of the French sacred tradition in the way they were meant to be performed at the Chapelle Royale in Versailles in the early 18th century. This set comprises excerpts from any number of studio recordings and live concerts at the Chapelle Royale. The repertoire, normally I would use the perfectly good English word repertory, but <laughs> after all, we're in after France, includes music of the mid-16th through mid-18th centuries by composers, some of whose names will be familiar to Harmonia listeners, Marc-Antoine Charpentier, Jean-Baptiste Lully, and Claude Lejeune, but also music of lesser-known composers such as Eustache de Carrois, Nicolas Fourmet, and Étienne Moulinier. The earlier repertoire paints us an oral picture of the first academy in France, which was founded to revive classical Greek and Roman poetry, just as the humanists undertook in Renaissance Italy. Its founders were trying to revitalize French poetry by applying ancient meters to it and then combining it with simple music. Claude Lejeune was its most influential musical member. Listen to his Muse Honoran, a piece which might have been sung at the coronation of Henry IV, the peacemaker to whom much of the sacred music of this period was dedicated. Listen in particular to the ornamentation of the piece in general and the use of the cornetto in particular. Here's that piece by Claude Lejeune. of cornetto in in that piece we just heard. The cornetto is is that treble-ranged wind instrument that we hear on this recording and whose sound I really am in love with, although I usually associate it with the 16th and 17th centuries in Germany and Italy and the music of Schutz or Gabrielli or Monteverdi. Now that I think about it, though, this instrument certainly must have been in France as well. The composer we just heard, Claude Lejeune, was alive from around 1530 to the year 1600. And this was really smack in the middle of the roughly 100-year heyday of the cornetto. The instrument was could be very virtuosic in terms of the kinds of extravagant divisions performers were famous for of the day. Should we define this term, division? 
Yeah, divisions are a kind of ornamentation or a variation on a melody. They're a way that performers embellish a long note by, as you might expect, dividing the long note into shorter note values that weave in and out or rise and fall around the main melodic line. Would you define it in other terms? I think it's very similar to what in Italy were called passaggi or differencias in Spain or in France, maybe even double. So we know that the cornetto was really good at doing these types of divisions. And actually, we heard a lot of that in the music we just listened to by Claude Lejeune. What did you think of their use of the cornetto in this recording? Well, I have a quote from the Parisian music theorist Marin Marzet in his very famous and influential publication called Harmonie Universelle from around the year 1636. He mentioned that the cornetto was like a ray of sunshine piercing the shadows when heard with the choir voices in the cathedrals or chapels. And in other places, he mentions that he thinks that the cornetto should almost always be played in diminution. And of course, we have both of those on this recording, a choir singing sacred music that would have been sung in cathedrals or chapels, and really one rock star cornetto player whose divisions add some vibrance and brilliance and interest to that choral texture. What were your impressions of how they used uh, the cornetto with a choir? Well, it's certainly very interesting and adds a lot to it adds a lot of notes, if nothing else, <laughs> to, to the recording, and it's certainly historically justified. But what about the miking and how it's used? Don't you find its presence just a little bit intrusive sometimes? Yeah, it was a very present part. I would have liked a, a different texture every now and then so that the, the cornetto sound would have really stood out and been As being striking. special, yeah. Yes, to be special. Another reason, though, that we can expect to hear the cornetto, uh, not only in French sacred music, but especially in the piece we're talking about, is that this is a piece that you mentioned before might have been sung at the coronation of Henry IV. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Groups of cornettos and trombones, or sackbuts, often played together in ensembles. We all know His Majesty's sackbuts and cornets. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) And this kind of ensemble was often expressly used for ceremonial music in France. So if this was a ceremony for Henry IV, that would be yet another reason why we would be hearing sackbuts and coronets, cornettos. That makes very good sense, very good sense. Music was such an important part of Louis XIII's life that when his musical establishment was delayed during the siege of La Rochelle, he supposedly composed and directed the music for divine service himself. (laughs) That's something I'd like to hear. (laughs) Me too. Alas, very little of his music survived the French Revolution. But we do have polychoral music of the little-known Nicolas Forme, who was among the most important composers at Louis' court. And by polychoral music, we're talking about music for two choirs? In this case, it's music for two choirs. That's, that's exactly right. Listen to the Sanctus of Forme's Missa Duobus Choris. Note particularly the pronunciation of the Latin, and there's that cornetto again. <laughs> and also those sackbuts. That's right. <laughs>
what was it that you were saying about Latin pronunciation? The changing of the French pronunciation of Latin during the period covered, starting out very similar to Italian Latin, but becoming very French with French vowels and the stress falling on the last syllable of every word and not the penultimate syllable as one would hear in Rome, was very striking to me on this recording. Oh. Well, I laughed when I was reading the description about the language in the liner notes to this recording, that all of these elements together produced a kind of lingual schizophrenia for music of this time. That's a very, that's a very nice expression. <laughs> <laughs> and it's quite fun reading these liner notes that are so obviously translated from French into English. <laughs> it's, it's good fun. They come out very interesting. I really hope listeners have enjoyed this chance to hear music from a composer such as Nicolas Forme that they've probably never heard of before. And if you'd like to know more about these composers or the composers included on this recording, you could head out over to our website, harmoniaearlymusic.org. While you're there, have a look at our archives of podcasts and shows. And visit our online shop where a portion of your purchase benefits Harmonia. This has been the Harmonia Early Music Podcast. I'm Wendy Gillespie. And I'm Janelle Davis. Thanks for listening. <laughs>